athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. We the best music! I said it's time the Maybach. I said it's time another one. I said it's time the Maybach. Wherever you may be, I hope you're having a wonderful Easter weekend. You are tuned in to the Dopey Show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, I'm aware. Got a whole lot to get to on the program. Again, hope you're enjoying your Easter weekend, spending time with family. Happy Easter. Been a busy week in the world of sports. We're down to the final four. And as we spoke about last week, you know, Loyola, Chicago just continues to roll. Now, I must say I had Villanova, Kansas and Michigan um, all in the final four. I had actually had Michigan playing um, Arizona, who got bounced out very early again and messed my whole sheet up. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you salvage your sheet a little bit if you have three? of the final four teams correctly. And by the way, I've picked Kansas to win the national championship game. I actually had Kansas and Arizona playing in the national championship game. I I think that what I've learned, at least one thing in this particular tournament, that I'm not going to go against Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago is, is as legit as legit can be. And this is a team that I think definitely can beat Michigan, no doubt about it. On the other side, Kansas and Villanova, I mean, I have Kansas picked to to win the whole thing. Um, but if I look at the matchups, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I had a chance to watch that Kansas and Duke game last week. And, and, and what a game it was. And by the way, um, Devontae Graham, very good. For Kansas, a really good Kansas team. But that Villanova team is very good as well, playing that that old school. Uh, they, they, they've, they've, they, they play a little bit of that old school Big East style of basketball a little bit, but they're, you know, they're refined. And that's a good Villanova team. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know about that particular matchup. I guess I'm just going to stick with my sheet and uh, go with Kansas in that particular game, the Final Four um, taking place on Saturday, the the matchups that I mentioned, and then of course the national championship game, gonna take place on Monday. Got a good show for you today here on the program. As a matter of fact, today got three guests scheduled to join us today here on from the press box to press row. And the Houston Rockets are playing some really good basketball. I mean, playing as good a basketball as anybody is in the NBA. I, you know. I mean, I, I'm going to give Golden State the benefit of the doubt in terms of where it is, where Golden State is right now. Just a plethora of players that are injured. 
at this particular time. But I tell you what, and by the way, Steve Kerr says that he doubts Steph Curry is going to be back for the first round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, now, if I mean, it's not like past years where Golden State has had that number one seed, they would play an eight seed and you know dismantle the eight seed. I mean, it's a little bit different now. I think they can still beat the seven seed. I mean, I, I still think that they're going to be able to do that. Um, but with that being said, the road is obviously going to be a little bit harder. I think right now you'd have to say that Houston's going to be that team that's going to win the Western Conference um, and going to have the number one seed, as a matter of fact. That's going to put Golden State at the number two seed. What is Golden State going to be able to do with that number two seed? I mean, right now, if the season ended today, they'd have to play the Utah Jazz. Um, and meanwhile, the Rockets would play the the Timberwolves as things stand right now. But, I mean, we got a lot of basketball left to play. The Clippers and the Nuggets sit at, currently at number nine and number ten. They still have something to say about this thing. We could flip-flop between the Spurs and the Jazz. The Spurs sit at number six right now. That could change. How would a Warriors-Spurs matchup look? I mean, I definitely would favor the Warriors. But, boy, the Jazz playing i mean the jazz are playing well they're a young team they're dynamic they like to kind of get up and down um you know i I, if i'm the warriors i definitely would be uh, a little bit worried about the jazz particularly if i don't have steph curry so we'll have to see how things play out i mean it could be the pelicans that could be in this i think i told you about a month ago that Anthony Davis was definitely going to have to step up when Boogie Cousins went down, and he's done that. I mean, he's been playing for the last month at an MVP level. So, I mean, it's still a lot that can happen. Um, The Thunder could still be there. I mean, there are essentially, and the Trailblazers, by the way, are playing very well right now. But, I mean, you have that seven seed could be the Trailblazers, Thunder, Pelicans, Spurs, Jazz, Timberwolves. When it's all said and done, we still have about two weeks or so remaining in the regular season. So we'll definitely have to see how things play out. But again, the Rockets are playing very well right now. And uh, one of the players that has played well for the Rockets is P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Want to talk with P.J. about not only how well the Rockets are playing as a team, but how well he's playing. He's got a really good story, a a, a young man that looks like he's finally going to be able to stick now in the NBA and and really, you know, had to, um, you know, has been from team, he's gone from team to team, you know, and he's he's had to go overseas and and play a little bit and maybe hasn't um, uh, been able to get that due, but he's, he's put in his work, and uh, now he's he's I mean, I'm telling you, he's had some good ball games for the Rockets. I know we talk about James Harden and we talk about Chris Paul and we talk about some of those other players on the team. But I mean, this is a young man that has has played well. So P.J. Tucker going to join us today here on the program. We're going to further talk some NBA as we're scheduled to be joined by Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us on the program. When I talk with Mike, I mean, I, I mentioned the fact of, of you have a situation where between now and the time the season ends, basically 
Houston and Golden State pretty much have one and two solidified in that order. Again, three through eight right now, the way that it looks. I mean, mean, the Trailblazers are playing very well. I mean, if I had to look and see, okay, who's playing well and who could probably, uh, you know, if I had to do a seating right now, I probably would go with the Trailblazers at number three. I would go with the Pelicans at number four, um, the Thunder at number five. Um, you know, I think the Jazz are going to move up to number six. I think the Spurs ultimately would be seven, and then the Timberwolves would be eight. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't think the Timberwolves are, are quite ready to make that next step. But I, uh, in terms of, I mean, obviously, I think they're going to make, well, it's not guaranteed that they're going to make the playoffs because, again, you have the Clippers and the Nuggets lurking. But I think that they're ready to make that next step in terms of the playoffs, but in terms of getting beyond the first round, not quite yet, but that's a good young team. And uh, so we'll talk with Mike Wallace about all things NBA today here on the program. Also joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Brian Penny Collins. Brian Penny Collins was introduced as the new head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State earlier in the week. He replaces Dana Ford, who took the head coaching position at Missouri State. That's a nice move, I think, for Dana Ford. Um, you know, he has a, uh, an opportunity to put his stamp on the program that is Missouri State. Not that they're known, not that they're greatly known, but they play in a solid conference. And so, you know, he has an opportunity. It's 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 a move up, a bit of a move up. Um, and I think that he has an opportunity to put his stamp on a program and maybe make a program like Missouri State relevant. I mean, we look at some of the mid-majors that were once mid-majors that aren't mid-majors so much now. You look at the Gonzagas of the world. You look at the Butlers of the world. Um, obviously, I realize that Butler plays in a big-time conference now in the Big East, but at one time they weren't playing in that kind of conference. Um, you know, Gonzaga wasn't, you know, 20 years ago, wasn't the Gonzaga that you know it to be now. So he has a chance to put his stamp on the program, meaning Dana Ford. But, again, Brian Penny Collins comes in now as the head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State. He's going to join us also today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. want you to hit me up via Twitter at box to row B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Again, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W. I tell you what, wherever you are, uh, maybe riding around in your car, you're listening to us on Sirius XM channels 141 uh, or 142. Perhaps you're listening to us uh, somewhere, maybe right here where we are uh, in Raleigh, perhaps down the road or up the road a little bit in Greensboro. Maybe you're in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. Perhaps you're uh, somewhere in the Midwest, maybe in Oklahoma, or you could be in Pittsburgh. Maybe you're uh, uh, in Nashville. Doesn't matter where you are. Thank you for making from the press box to press row, a part of your day. Listen, you know, the, the National Football League is at it again. And, you know, apparently, we already knew that the National Football League likes to make up the rules as it goes along. They've now, since I guess they've, uh, uh, con- um, I don't want to say confirmed, but they've, they've let us know exactly what a catch will in fact be. Uh, in the National Football League. So we, we finally, you know, we finally know what a catch is. And, um, 
So, you know, it's interesting because I've seen a couple of plays this year, and and, and we're talking about, we've been talking a lot about this catch rule, right? But I've seen plays, I mean, to me, at least when you're crossing the goal line, it was always a situation where if you, like, if you reached the ball across the goal line or if the ball broke the plane of the goal line, then it was, in fact, a touchdown. Forget about all of this completing the process and so so forth. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, to me, at least from a catch, not necessarily out of bounds, but from a touchdown perspective, once that ball, you know, once you've caught that ball, you're you're in you know you're in what you know whatever happens i mean after that the ground can't cause a fumble you know whatever happens after that happens i think i think that process was it was complicated or more complicated than it had to be obviously you can look at the des bryant catch a couple of years ago you can look at some other catches that you can point to um as well but it looks like but the interesting thing about this is that um apparently with the beginning of the playoffs, the rule that has been implemented now was actually implemented during the playoffs. So again, you got the National Football League, uh, as it likes to do, uh, switching uh, rules, uh, switching, uh, you know, doing what it wants to do whenever it wants to do it, doesn't let anybody know, and uh, it's it's just one of those deals, I guess, is, you know, if you're going to be a fan of the National Football League, a fan of a respective team, I guess it's something that you have to deal with, but it's unfortunate, but it looks like we finally have a clear indication of what a catch is. Got to step aside, take a break, come back, going to be joined by the new head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State, Brian Penny Collins. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Cha-cha-cha to the smarty grind. I'm the dopest female that you've heard thus far. And I do get better. The voice gets wetter. Nobody gets hurt. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Our guest on the line was introduced as the new head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State earlier in the week. And wouldn't you know it, this weekend he joins us right here on the program. He is Brian Penny Collins. Coach Collins, welcome to From the Press Box to Press Row. Man, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Now, now how did you get the nickname Penny? Man, I, I, um, actually, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, me and my family moved to Nashville, Tennessee, when I was about 11 years old. And uh, the neighborhood I moved into, we always had kids in the neighborhood to play basketball. And I would uh, always wear my Penny Hardaway Orlando Magic jersey. I used to wear it all the time. And there was two Bryans in the neighborhood, and uh, just to keep the confusion down, uh, they started calling me Penny. So uh, more like Lil Penny, like at that time the Lil Penny commercials were coming out. So it was kind of like a joke, like you look like Lil Penny and you wear the Penny jersey all the time, so we're just going to call you Lil Penny. <laughs> so that was my nickname for forever. And then just kind of once I got older, it just kind of stuck, and, and, uh, and they still call me Penny for today. Yeah, no, you you sound it's interesting because he was he was also introduced as as the new head men's basketball coach at Memphis earlier in the week. Had some kind words to say about you, but you sort of sound like him a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, man, Penny is a uh, he's a legend to me and a Hall of Fame guy. 
and I've always looked up to him. And, you know, it's really cool to have a guy that you look at as a role model and uh, kind of want to always pattern your game after. To actually have a relationship with them is uh is pretty darn cool. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me start here because one of the things that you mentioned in the introductory press conference was the fact that you wanted to recruit more in Nashville. And as a matter of fact, there was a stat that that came up where only two or three players had been recruited out of Nashville to Tennessee State in the last uh, three or four years. Kind of speak to that. And there, there's some really good talent there in the Nashville area. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to recruit uh, the city of Nashville without a doubt. Uh, there's been so many great players that have left the city to go on to other colleges that I felt like if uh, Tennessee State would have recruited them harder, um, they would have stayed. And I'm, I'm I'm an example. I'm one of those guys. Uh, I'm not. You know, I, I've said that about Nashville, and I'm going to recruit Nashville and the surrounding cities and surrounding states. But uh, we're going to have a we're going to have a national uh, we're going to be a nationally recruiting um, coaching staff. And uh, but we're definitely going to focus in on Nashville because uh, there's so many really good players right here in our backyard. Sure, and I know you you've you spent some time at Tennessee State, and we'll talk more uh, previous, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. But but did now Tennessee State not recruit you uh, out of high school? They did. They recruited me, but they didn't recruit me as hard as uh, you know they probably should have. And I actually, the uh, funny story is, I was going to tell this at the press conference, but I just kind of made it short. I actually committed to Tennessee State just because of how much love I have for the university. And um, one thing led to another, and Coach Richardson, me and Coach Richardson didn't quite agree on um, scholarship. He decided he wanted to make me a walk-on instead of being on scholarship at the last minute. So I decided to uh, go to Belmont on scholarship instead. No question. I mean, there's a kid in Nashville that I, had a, I was watching his uh, his highlight tape the other day. I think he plays at Brentwood by the name of Darius Garland. I mean, this kid is absolutely phenomenal. I, I mean, I, I can't remember if I've seen a you know a, a better you know basket, at least a guard uh, in, in quite some time. Are those the kind of players uh, like him that you feel like you can get to come to Tennessee State? You know, Darius is the number one. He's the number one guard, point guard in the country. Uh, you know, we really got to be in there, got to get our hooks in a kid like that at an early age if you can get a guy like that to commit to Tennessee State over a, a high power five school. But absolutely, what you don't want to have happen is a guy like that say that Tennessee State never even talked to him. Uh, that's what you can't have happen. Uh, we we, we want to have our hands on every great player in the city, and uh, they, we got to we're just going to make them tell us no. If they tell us no, you know, nine times out of ten. They'll always have positive stuff to say about us as they move on throughout their career, and uh, maybe they'll give us a guy back here or there. That the voice of Brian Penny Collins was introduced as the new head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State earlier in the week today. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And Coach Collins, how much uh, does it help you to have had some familiarity with Tennessee State as an assistant coach early in your coaching career? I think it's helped a whole lot because I know what Tennessee State is. I know about their history. I know about their tradition. I know how good they can be. I know how the things that they can distract our players and the things that can help our players. Um, I'm very familiar with the campus already and how to get things done. Um, obviously, I'm very, I'm very well, very good at uh, navigating the city of Nashville and, and knowing what's good and bad about the city and as far as what I need to sell about the city. So uh, just having some familiarity not only with uh, Tennessee State, but with the whole city of Nashville as well, is always going to be beneficial. 
you know, I had a chance to do a, a game with Cy Alexander a couple of weeks ago, um, as a matter of fact, and he brought you in initially as a grad assistant um, when he became the head men's basketball coach there at Tennessee State. And then ultimately you became the director of basketball operations. What how much did you learn? What did you learn uh, from Cy Alexander that uh, will now help you or has helped you throughout your career and ultimately will now help you at Tennessee State? Uh, I mean, working for Sal Alexander was the biggest blessing of my career. He gave me my first chance. Um, he's the one that convinced me to get into college coaching. Uh, I was playing professional basketball at the time, and I had I really didn't want to start coaching yet. Actually, the first time he asked me to do it, I told him no. And then uh, after just about a month or two of just thinking about it, I uh, called him back up and uh, asked him, is this spot still open? And he said yes, and uh, I've been uh, I'm working ever since. But I've learned so much from him in those two years, and even now as he's a mentor of mine, uh, just about being a, a great professional, uh, a great father. And, um, you know, he's also a legendary coach. He's, he's won five. He's been to six NCAA tournaments. And uh, I've learned so much from him, just uh, watching him, his professionalism in the game. And um, I can only hope that I can have a career like his. Brian Penny Collins is the head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State, introduced at a press conference earlier in the week. He joins us here on the program. For you, Coach Collins, can you speak to the, the couple of years? I mean, you had a lot of success as a head coach on the junior college level, which I'm sure would help you in recruiting because you, you know, you, you know uh, the kids, at least on that circuit, that you could be able to get to come uh, ultimately to Tennessee State. But but talk about that and, um, you know, how that um, those couple of years, I guess it was three or four years uh, at the JUCO really helped you uh, in terms of, of now becoming a head coach, the head coach at Tennessee State, or how it could ultimately help you. Yeah, I just feel like uh, those years at junior college have gave me a relentless mindset. Uh, anytime I get to working on a task, I'm not going to stop until it's done. And I don't need uh, approval or, or a pat on the back for it. I'm just going to keep working, keep working, keep working. I gotta, I'm going to have a grinded-out mentality. Uh, and that's kind of what I had at, at Columbia State. You know, I had a lot to do. I had to do a lot of things on my own. We had to wash, uh, I had to wash our guys' jerseys. I had to tape angles. We had to fill up water coolers for the guys on game days. I did everything basically to pop the popcorn. Uh, we had to put the scoreboards up. Uh, I mean, it was just a grind. And then you still had to go recruit. Uh, not to mention I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, driving to Columbia, Tennessee, which is an hour away every day. Uh, hour away, one way every day. So I was putting close to 120 miles on my car a day. So it just taught me how to grind and how to work. And I just think I just sit back and think sometimes uh, that that was, you know, five years ago, and to see where I am now, it's just a complete blessing. A couple of more thoughts with Brian Penny Collins. He's the new head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State, joining us here on from the press box to press row. And I mean, you had the the one year uh, coach Collins um at um at at uh, Illinois State and and some success there um at at Illinois State how how did this how did this whole process come about uh were you contacted by Tennessee State did you apply for the job how did that process come about I believe I believe the process started uh, in 2014 when I applied for the job the first time uh, I was a candidate for the job uh, and I, the only reason why I was probably even considered is because we had a, a fantastic year at Columbia State, and there was a lot of people saying that, uh, you know, you know, just take a look at this guy. 
And uh, I went in and, you know, did an interview with a couple committee members and Teresa one-on-one. And, um, I think they, was just, they were just shocked, surprised of, you know, I guess how much enthusiasm and energy I had for Tennessee State at that time. Um, it didn't go, you know, I didn't get the job that time around uh, that gave it to Dana. And, uh, you know, Dana did a great job. When this job came open this time, I just think Teresa had just been following me on my career since then. Um, and then she just felt like, you know, this was, you know, this is my time. And when she gave when she gave me the call that uh, it was a possibility, um, I just think everybody, all the parties involved, agreed that this this is the time where we can give uh, Brian Collins his opportunity. Lastly, and we appreciate the time you mentioned Dana Ford doing a good job, and and definitely, especially after that rough start his, his first year, but a lot of that was just him being new to the program. Obviously, you know Tennessee State, the Tigers were close in terms of maybe winning an OVC championship, at least from a talent perspective, really when you look at the last uh, couple of years, what are some of the things that you think the program needs from a personnel standpoint to get over that hump and win that elusive OVC championship? We just got to go out and get guys to fit our culture. Um, Every position, um, you know, the guys that are returning, um, you know, those guys are going to be ready to go. They've experienced winning. Uh, they had a big-time seven-game winning streak. Uh, they played in the OVC tournament. And then we're going to add some guys that can fit that same winning culture. Uh, we want to get we want to get longer on the perimeter. We want to uh, we want to go out and get some guys that can really shoot the basketball. We want to get some guys that can uh, you know some older guys. We don't want to have you know we don't want to be a young team. I think this this roster deserves to have a chance uh, to win right away. And uh, we just got to fill in some key holes that we're gonna uh, on some guys that 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 have, that have graduated and move on, moved on. You know, we got to replace a really good player in Delano Spencer. Uh, we got to replace the leadership of a Darion Riddick. And uh, those guys that have that have been with uh, Riddick, who's been with who was with Dana Ford for four years, those are big time culture guys that uh, you know we got to go out and replace in recruiting. And uh, me and my staff, uh, once I complete it, uh, we plan to get that done. Brian Penny Collins introduced as the new head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State earlier in the week joins us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Collins, we appreciate the time and we look forward to catching up with you once the next basketball season begins. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Brian Penny Collins says he wants to recruit locally. I mean, listen, this this kid, Darius Garland, is the truth out of Brentwood. Um, you know, may not be able to get that kind of player, but who knows? But hopefully he can get some good caliber player to stay uh, at Tennessee State from Nashville. More from the press box to press row on the other side. Let's talk some NBA here on from the press box to press row. And to do that, we're joined by the senior editor of Grind City Media. You know him. He is Mike Wallace. What's going on, Mike? Hey, everything, man. What's going on? Good to talk to you again. So it's uh, it's been a minute, but I'm glad to be back on with you guys. Yeah, man, it, it's been a minute. Glad to have you back. I want to start with your team, the Grizzlies, man, because I know when we were talking during the course of the, the football season, the beginning of the basketball season, it you know looked like uh, you know a little bit up and down. Actually, it looked like some pretty good moments for the Grizzlies. But, boy, it's gone <laughs> down, man. Just talk about what's – although the Grizzlies have won two straight games, what's what's the deal? What's going on with the Grizzlies right now? 
Well, I tell you what, when you, like you said, when we when we first started talking at the beginning of the season, it was way up. I mean, the Grizzlies got off to that three and zero start, five and one, seven and four going into you know the early part of November. Had beaten Houston twice, uh, had beaten Golden State at that time, and then you know obviously the uh, the injuries started piling up with Mike Conley uh, being lost in early November for what turned out to be the duration of the season. Coaching change, eleven game losing streak. 17-game road losing streak, 19-game overall losing streak, uh, a winless February, uh, you know, some some turmoil here and there, roster shakeup. I mean, it's it's just been a little bit of everything that's that's come together uh, to derail the season. But you know, right now the team is just looking to maximize some of the young prospects they have, and you know, go into this uh, draft lottery in May. And hopefully they get the right ping pong combination and get one of the top three or four picks where they'll be looking at, you know, obviously we know all the names that are out there. Some of the guys have already declared, you know, you know, Luka Doncic uh, from overseas is, is going to be at the top there somewhere. Um, DeAndre Ayton has has declared already uh, that he's going to come out from Arizona. And, you know, just the other day, uh, Marvin Bagley uh, has, has declared as well. So, you know, we know the names that are going to be at the top and, and the Grizzlies hopefully and for, for them uh, put themselves in a position to get one of those top three picks. I mean, and you and you're right, but I mean, you, I, 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 I hear you, and but I look at okay, they have you know obviously it's been some some turmoil, you know as you mentioned, but then I look at the fact that the Grizzlies defeated the Trailblazers the other night, one of the hottest teams <laughs> in the league. Like, how do you explain that? Well, you explain it by the fact that, you know, this team is – and this is why, uh, you know, people around here and a lot of people should look at this as a as a one-year sort of dip and there's a chance to get good again pretty quickly because some of the pieces that are already in place on this roster, um, this isn't your average, you know, tear it down and rebuild it from zero. You know what I mean? This is a team that still has Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley and veterans like Chandler Parsons and Jermichael Green and some young prospects, um, you know, that can get hot – and show that hey they they've been around the block a few times in this league so it's not like some of these other places whereas you're looking at you know maybe Orlando or you're looking at a Brooklyn or you know Phoenix some teams that are really really young and it's going to take some time for them to get back up yeah and lastly with respect to the Grizzlies um your thoughts I mean you know Mark Gasol there was some you know some uh, situation you know or maybe earlier in the season with with Mark Gasol where where is he right now and then looking forward I mean how much is he looking for I mean you want to still play out the season but to your point there's some things that could happen next season that obviously he'll still be an integral part of yeah he he is and first he has first and foremost um, he said nothing other than you know he's been in Memphis all of this time this is home for him he wants to see this franchise succeed with him being a part of it Um, so so you move forward with that in mind and you know, and and you also have to understand the economics and the business side of the NBA too. So, if there is a trade possibility there with Mark at 33 years old, uh, going into what could be the final guaranteed season of his contract, um, with an option to opt out of it after next season, then there are some other uh, uh, options and avenues that could come into play with him. But uh, mentally, yes, he's frustrated. He's cooked. He's fried mentally. He's been trying to say the right things and do the right things. He's been a stand-up guy all season long has has uh, complied with every interview request 
and he's been honest. That's the other thing too. He's not going to just stand up there and um, you know and be a mouthpiece for an organization. He's going to stand up there and say, "Hey, this is very, very difficult, and I, you know I hate losing. This is not who I am and who we are and what we built here." Um, so he's he's holding the uh, organization accountable. Uh, he's holding himself accountable, and he wants the right things moving forward. And we'll have to see where that leads as we get into May, June, and, and July when it comes to free agency. Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And let's look at some other things NBA-wise, uh, Mike. And let, let's look at that Eastern Conference. The Raptors obviously lead it right now. The Celtics are, are right behind. But the, I tell you, man, the Celtics are going through some things right now. Kyrie Irving um, is down. They got a bunch, not just him, but they have a, just a bunch of injuries. Um, your thoughts on the Celtics um moving forward in terms of uh going into the playoffs and some of the possibilities without a guy like a Kyrie Irving. Well they keep they you know they keep that the luck of the Irish going man the way some of the games they've won just pulling the rabbit out of the hat in the final seconds has been remarkable uh in the face of all the injuries that they've had you know what I mean so but you have to wonder can they keep doing that over the course of a seven game series when they're facing you know top line competition because when you look at the east standings and the west is the same way um but but Boston is is vulnerable right now because of the injuries Kyrie Irving has to work his way back into you know some conditioning and some shape Marcus Smart Jalen Brown Although he came back recently, uh, these are guys that have all been in and out of the lineup. And yes, I guess in the last two weeks of the regular season, you want to get through all of that as healthy as you can, give your guys some rest. But when you look at the East, man, you're two seven. Um, you know, you could end up facing Milwaukee in the first round. You can end up with the Miami Heat in the first round. Indiana Pacers have been looking good. You know, I mean, it's only a couple of games that separate anywhere from 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 four all the way down to eight. You know, from that standpoint. So, you know, if you're Boston, you're probably going to be two, three somewhere in there, and and but it's not going to be an easy cakewalk through your first round series. So I think they're vulnerable. And then when you switch it over and look at the West, um, Golden State is the same way. I mean, this is a team that yes, they have a lot of skins on the wall because of what they've done and what Kevin Durant is as a player, one of the greatest that we've seen in this game. Steph Curry, obviously, ditto for him. Um, but but again, when these guys are injured and they have to you know find some rhythm and some cohesion. And you go up against a, a a team like a say you know they they're going to avoid Portland, but if you go up against a team that that has some experience and Kawhi comes back for San Antonio, you don't want to see the Spurs in the first round of that kind of series. You don't want to see a red hot Anthony Davis and the Pelicans playing well uh, in that kind of series. And Utah is definitely going to be a team that's going to knock knock you down and drag you out, um, even though they may you know lose the series to you. You know it's going to be a painful series. So it's it's uh, some vulnerability at the top on both sides of the conference. Yeah. Your thoughts. I mean, how how obviously the 76ers are playing well. How how well do you think with this being a young team without any playoff experience? You talk about the process. You know, how how well do you think that they can do in the playoffs? You know, I think Philly can do well from the standpoint of the talent will take over. They play hard. I, I, I haven't said yes, they've lost games. And they've turned the ball over. They're one of the uh, teams that lead the league in turnovers uh, in terms of the playoff teams that are in, in set in the playoffs right now. Um, they do turn it over a lot in the fourth quarter in particular. Uh, so they make mistakes, but they don't have lapses in effort. And, and that's going to get you far. And, and I think what I like the most about Philly is, you know, yes, Embiid is special. But I think what Ben Simmons has done in terms of controlling the pace and the tempo, knowing when to speed it up, knowing when to slow it down, and, you know, 
Covington is a guy, Tennessee State guy, um, that's come out and, and really showed that he can be one of the best two-way players in any series uh, when it comes to his ability to knock down threes and defend you. So they have a lot of good role players. J.J. Redick is a veteran shooter there. And if they can get that kind of consistency, then I think they'll be a dangerous out, no question about it. Mike Wallace, he is the senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. Follow him on Twitter at my Mike Check. So you look at the West, and right now, I mean, basically it's the Rockets and the Warriors, and then, you know, three through eight playoff-wise could be anybody by the time the season ends. I mean, you, you could even look at the Jazz right now, who's at, you know, number eight, could, could potentially move up uh, to number three. But wh- what, you know, what do you make of the West uh, in terms of the parity that we're seeing in the West, at least three through really ten, because, um, you, you know, you got to count the Clippers and the Nuggets also. Yeah, it's the, the, the man, the, the parity there, and it's parity both ways. I think the, the depth goes a little bit longer in the, in the West because you still have, you know, the Clippers and, and, and Denver Nuggets still trying to get in uh, with Utah right there and Minnesota. And, you know, you basically have 10 teams fighting for eight spots. So it's going to be intriguing going all the way down uh, to the final games of the regular season. So, you know, the depth over there, it, it's interchangeable. And, uh, you know, Portland was just in Memphis the other day, and I was talking to some executives, some executives with Portland and some of the players and you know CJ McCollum one in particular was telling me you know before the game during his warm-ups he was like man look we can we can uh, yeah we, we we did some good things by winning the first two games of this three-game road trip when they made the stops and beat Oklahoma City on last Sunday and followed it up with a win on Tuesday I believe it was against uh, New Orleans and then they let the you know Damian Lillard goes back and, and for the birth of his son, and then they lose a the game to, to Memphis. And he was like, you can lose one game in the West, and you can go from fourth to, like, eighth yeah. um, if you have a bad week or a shaky week. And uh, that's dangerous, or even out of the playoff mix. So he said they have to keep the foot on the, on the, on the, on the pedal and, uh, and keep pushing, man, because they're trying to get a top three seed. So the depth and the parity is there in the West, and it's going to make for a phenomenal first round of the playoffs all the way across the board. And uh, I just can't wait, man. I mean, I'm with the, you know, obviously with the Memphis Grizzlies and there's a lot to look forward to in terms of the draft and the lottery and the non-playoff uh, drama that's going to happen outside of that but when you look at the games that are going to be played it's going to be a magical first round uh, matchup across the league a couple more thoughts I mean the Warriors obviously uh, all of their stars are essentially all of their stars are injured uh, in one form or another they expect them to be back in the playoffs but I mean even when they were all healthy I mean, it wasn't like a, a dominant Warriors team. How vulnerable do you think the Warriors are, even if healthy? And I know Steve Curry said that he doesn't even think that uh, Steph Curry will be back for the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that was to, to take some of the pressure off of Steph because he wants Steph to heal. He wants him to take his time and get his knee right. It was unfortunate that he comes back from an ankle situation and then one game in, he messes up his knee. And Steph is putting a lot of pressure on himself this year because, again, he just signed that you know major, major, most rich, uh, expensive contract in NBA history, uh, that two hundred and I think $215 million contract uh, last summer. And that's kicking in now. And for him to to play under that kind of spotlight with that kind of salary and not be there for his teammates, he's going to have a lot of pressure. Even though everything that Steph has done, no one should question it. No one should question what he's overcome and how valuable he is. He's still one of the most – 
complete competitors that this game has ever seen. So they are vulnerable. Um, I think the other injuries are sort of minor, and they're just more at rest day-to-day. But Steve Kerr certainly seemed a lot more concerned about what Steph is going through. And, and he's the engine that makes that team go. You know, you can't double off of anyone on Golden State because you got three or four different guys that can get you 50 points at any, any time, on any game. But um, if, without Steph, that team is vulnerable, and, and Houston uh, is licking his chops if they can so, somehow avoid having to play the Warriors. But even if they get them head up, I think Houston feels like they, they can get them this year if, uh, if, if, if Golden State is wounded a little bit. Yeah. Lastly, how good are the Rockets? I think they are good. I mean, we we spent all season being skeptical, being doubters. I remember some some you know frontline NBA analysts, guys that have been covering this league for years on TV and in the newspapers, um, very 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 trusted guys came out and said, hey, this Chris Paul to Houston thing won't work. Chris Paul is not a, a ball-moving type guard. He has to have the ball in his hands and dominate. And every month, Golden State has shut up another round of critics, and myself included. I mean, I, I didn't buy into them until I really broke down what they do defensively to you. And with the way Harden is playing right now, um, when he's on his game with the confidence that on the other side of the floor you got Chris Paul, uh, they have no weakness right now. They just don't, especially when their bigs are healthy. The question that I do have about Golden State State is they haven't really played well under adversity in the postseason together yet and until you do that that's a legitimate question and Harden is sort of I mean with all due respect you know he's he's shrinking some big time moments in the playoffs overall and we'll see if he can get over the hump this time but he certainly is as stacked and and is and as vaunted as he's ever been Mike Wallace talking all things NBA here on from the press box to press row check him out at grindcitymedia.com also follow him on twitter at my Mike check. Mike, appreciate the time, man. Talk to you real soon. All right, let's do it, man. Thanks a lot. Always good to catch up with Mike. He's been doing this for a number of years. More of From the Press Box to Press Row on the other side. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Still Press Row. Still trying to track down Houston Rockets forward P.J. Tucker scheduled to join us here on the program. In the meantime, the Botch to Row Division One All America team was released on Thursday, and uh, no surprise really that Demontre Jefferson, the five-seven sophomore guard for the Texas Southern Tigers, was named the Botch to Row Player of the Year. I mean, what a what a season that he had. As a matter of fact, um, currently, because of course the games are still going on, he's ranked eighth. In the nation, it's in scoring 23.2 points per game, average four and a half assists per game, shot 40% from three-point range, 82% from the free throw line, and average 1.2 steals per game. All of those numbers really ranked him in the top ten. And you know, when you looked at the at his production, and and you know what I thought was interesting, and I and I and I know that and that's the thing about when you've heard me say um, when you talk about numbers and statistics. With respect to college basketball, um, he wasn't on the old SWAC team. He wasn't named SWAC Player of the Year, I think, because at that time, I believe you have to play a minimum of like 75% of your team's games. And if you remember when Mike Davis joined us or when we didn't join us, I had a chance to catch up with him. And we um, had that particular podcast on our website at BoxToRow.com. But I played a little piece of it. Um, I guess it's been about a couple of weeks ago now was that uh, DeMontre Jefferson had missed a couple of games. He had been suspended uh, a couple of times. So 
with that, you, he missed some games, so he didn't therefore play in the correct number of games, which uh, I guess in essence eliminated him from being on the all-conference uh, team, which I, I don't – I just – I mean, you know, either either you're good or you're not, and clearly DeMonte Jefferson um, – DeMontre Jefferson is really, really good. And I think he showed that in the SWAC tournament championship game. I think he showed that um, on on the the couple of appearances. Um, I didn't have a chance to see when Texas Southern played Xavier, but I saw them play North Carolina Central in that first four in game. And, I mean, he looked very good in that game. So, um, you know, one of those deals where he didn't, he wasn't SWAC player of the year. He wasn't. Uh, all swag, but he definitely was on the Boxer All America team and was the Boxer All National Player of the Year. Same thing with uh, Taiwan uh, Kinley of Morgan State, who had a really good season. I think he 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 missed the first half of the season. I think he was eligible. I think his thing was he was eligible second half of the season, so he missed all of the previous games. But I mean. In the second half of the season, which was which he played the majority of the season, um, 26 games, I believe it was averaged uh, 26.1 points per game. Uh, wasn't on the all MEAC team or anything like that, but definitely was on the box to row all America team. And, you know, I, I, you know, this kid, R.J. Cole out of Howard, if you haven't heard about him or hadn't seen him play, a matter of fact, if you. Log on to our website at BoxerRow.com. I actually did a piece. He committed to Howard early. So as a junior, he committed to Howard. So 2016-2017 season while he was at St. Anthony's, at the acclaimed St. Anthony's in New Jersey is where he played his high school ball. Um, um, Well, no, that was his senior year. But, I mean, he had already – I think he had already committed to Howard even before that. Um, even before the start of his senior season, a three-star kid had already committed to Howard. And at that time, I did a piece uh, right after um, uh, right after President Trump was uh, was elected president. That was back in like maybe even a couple of days to a week after um, the November election. And I did a piece on R.J. Cole. And in that piece... I talked a little bit about what a Trump presidency would mean for, um, you know, for for prospective student athletes coming to historically black colleges and universities. I mean, and this was a kid again, R.J. Cole, who was a heavily recruited kid. He was recruited by the likes of Georgetown and others, but chose to come to Howard. And, you know, we've talked about this a number of times on this program with respect to uh, at one time, some of the greatest players that ever played the game um, didn't really have a choice and ultimately had to go to our HBCU. So would a kid like an RJ Cole coming to Howard, how would that kind of look and how would, you know, student athletes maybe or prospective um, college student athletes still in high school sort of perceive uh, our historically black colleges and universities, and would they kind of start to come back uh, to uh, to those schools? Some of the really highly um, touted players 
in 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 high school because I mean at the end of the day I think that and I realize that it's a little bit different with football because with football you're talking about two different levels you're talking about an FBS level and you're talking about an FCS level and the exposure while there is in 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 in, in, in for those that maybe don't understand I mean, Division One basketball is all Division One basketball. There's no such thing as FCS and FBS in Division One. Ba- it's all Division One basketball. Now, what they'll try to tell you is that there are major programs, and then there are mid-major programs. So, but at the end of the day, it's all Division One basketball. So, I think, you know, football is a different sport. But from a basketball perspective, I think if some of the better players start to go to the uh, to the HBCUs. Um, then I think that those HBCUs will get more exposure uh, and, and more specifically schools out of the SWAC, schools out of the MEAC, and then, of course, Tennessee State. Those schools are going to be able to get more exposure and they're going to get those games on uh, TV. I mean, and w- w- with these rules, with the perspective to and none rule that has been proposed, meaning you you either – um, it's been floated. It's not been, but it's been floated out there. You either play two years of college basketball or you go right into the NBA. You play no years. If so, in other words, if you go to college, then you have to play two years of college basketball. So with some of these proposed rules, and you know, right currently where we are with the one and done. I mean, if you're a, a really sought after, you know, high school player, I mean, you could play that one year because at the end of the day, especially with a lot of these. Uh, a lot of, of in, in the in sort of the preseason or the prior to the conference play, a lot of HBCUs are playing some of the bigger schools. So that exposure is already there. Now, if you had, you know, a, a, some big time players, some big time recruits come, you, you, you would have that exposure. I think the problem with Howard this year is just that Howard wasn't very good. I mean, R.J. Cole, I mean, what more could he do? He was one of the top scorers in the in the country. Um, he was a top assist man. Like he was one of the best players in the country. And, you know, I think, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. We'll, we'll pull those numbers up, you know, while we're, we're talking about RJ Cole. But I mean, if you look at his numbers, um, here was a kid that put up some really good numbers against some pretty stiff competition. I mean, Howard, like all most division one quote unquote mid majors play definitely play some high caliber, you know, teams. And let's see, I do have the numbers here. So I mean, let's look at some of the numbers that he put up against some of the bigger schools. I mean, against, you know, I don't know, George Washington plays in a, in a, in a, in a big conference. I mean, he averaged, you know, in a decent conference, I should say he averaged 23 and he, he had 23 points against George Washington. Indiana, it's no doubt that Indiana plays in a big conference in the Big Ten. He had 27 points against Indiana, 16 points against Gonzaga. Um, just kind of looking at the list of some of the bigger schools um, at Georgetown who had recruited him, 15 points against Georgetown. Um, you know, I know some some people will look at this and say, okay, well, you know, maybe the numbers weren't spectacular in terms of in terms of some of the shooting numbers. He shot less than 40 percent from the field, but he shot decent from three point range at 36 percent. But I mean, you cannot argue with 200 assists in a season. So, I mean, this kid is the real deal. I say all of that 
uh, to say not only go back to the point that I was making about it. And again, go to BoxToRow.com and or you can Google um, R.J. Cole Trump presidency and something like that. And that particular article that I did, you know, back in 2016 in November uh, should come up. But, you know, you could have made an argument that R.J. Cole could have been the Boxing Row National Player of the Year. I think it would have been a, a really a great argument, and it, it really could have gone either way. I think when you look, uh, I think when it all comes down to it, the bottom line is the team that you play on. How well did the team do? Well, Texas Southern started the season out 0-13 and then ultimately rebounded to have a good season in the SWAC and then ultimately went on to win the SWAC tournament championship. Um, when you look at Howard, Howard overall was 10 and 24 on the season and just seven and nine in conference play. So I think when you look at that, I mean, I think that alone um, numbers aside, I mean, I think you have to give it to Jefferson because the bottom line is um, you know, he helped his team to be able to win games. That's not to say that, you know, RJ Cole is, is, is a freshman also. I think this is, you know, an opportunity. I mean, because, you know, Howard had some, some decent players for whatever, whatever reason, you know, it just hasn't happened for Howard in terms of winning. They've had some solid players, but I mean, when you look at those numbers, those are some really good numbers. And I think looking, moving forward, you know, this kid is going to be really good. But I think if you had to put it down between Cole and Jefferson, if you looked at the numbers, numbers in terms of points per game being sort of equal, um, you got to look at the guy that or, or the guy that enabled his team to win ball games. And at the end of the day, that definitely was Texas Southern. Also joining both Cole and Jefferson on the first team, Gary Blackston of Prairie View A&M at one time was a box throw national player of the week. Very good player, a junior college transfer out of Baltimore. Uh, Rasheen Davis at North Carolina Central played center was very good. Um, I mentioned Kenley was on the team. Jermaine Morrow of Hampton, uh, Martavius McKnight, who was actually the SWAC player of the year out of Arkansas. Pine Bluff, Ivy Smith, really good player, good point guard for Grambling. Um, and Brandon Tab of Bethune-Cookman also on that first team. Log on to our website, BoxToRow.com, to look at uh, to to check out the Box to Row All-America team. It's first and second teams. Got to get ready to run. Want to thank Brian Penny Collins and Mike Wallace for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row as we celebrate Easter. Remember John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life have a wonderful easter and always remember to support those that support you from the press box to press row is presented by dw communications